1 Corinthians 16, uh, we spent a lot of time in 15 because it's just an amazing chapter. It's funny because last week we were away. We actually went down to uh, Atlanta. We were at North Point Community Church, which is where Andy Stanley is the lead pastor. Uh, and we went to a conference uh, that he held for a bunch of different reasons. We were looking at some of the things that they were talking about there and trying to, to get a bead on where God might be taking us or whatever and just investigating it. And first night he gets up to talk. He's talking about Luke 15, about the lost coin uh, and the lost sheep. And Dana's like, we just talked about this last week. So it was interesting that. And then the, the next morning when he, he spoke, he spoke largely from 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. And Dana's like, that's what we just talked about on Wednesday night. So it was really cool to, uh, for us to reflect back on some of the things that we had learned about and to hear some of the, the same themes uh, that God was reflecting back to us to hear again and dig a little bit more into. Uh, so powerful chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, about the centrality of the resurrection, about the fact that the resurrection changed everything. As a matter of fact, and it's one of the, the points that I think legitimately, I don't know that we consider it, it's one of the points that Andy was making in, in the conference was, first couple hundred years, they didn't carry a book around with them. What they carried was a story. And the story was, Jesus, the Son of God, came to die for you. And He rose again. And He lives that means you can give your life to Him. And it changed the world. Sometimes we make it so deep and so hard and so complicated and answer this question and that question. And he said, you know, think about this. There were a bunch of uneducated people walking around going, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Yeah, Son of God came to die for you and He rose again. Do you want to know Him? I mean, it's simple as that. And transformed the world. And the world really has never been the same. The, the, actually, the, the whole outlook of uh, people in this world, the whole economy of what matters and what doesn't matter, flipped upside down because of Jesus Christ's life and the embracing of his teaching by those who followed him. Um, and there's a, there's a couple books out there. There's a book called Humilitas. Uh, there's a book called Who Is That Man? Um, and, and it talks about how prior to Christ, we lived in a very honor-based reality. Your family, your life was all about honor, which is why you can go into like Egyptian history and you can read books or, or you can read the, the inscriptions that are written by pharaohs and it just makes you cringe because they're like, I, the great and mighty pharaoh, conquered this land and this land and I took this treasure and I took this many slaves and I was the greatest king in all the world. And, I, and you're like, oh, doesn't that make you just want to puke? Like, uh. But that was in an honor-based system. That's what you did. You gathered honor, you proclaimed honor, and it's anything that brought dishonor to your family was something that was to be avoided at all costs. Anything that brought honor to your name was something to be uh, proclaimed from the rooftops. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. You know, Paul talks about how he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And all of a sudden, now for us, people who were all braggadocious and look at me, look at me, everybody's kind of like, eh. That's improper. That's not good. That What's wrong with that person? But before Jesus showed up on the scene, we would have been like, well, that's what you do. And so it's hard to understate, or excuse me, hard to overstate the impact that Christ had and the resurrection and this band of people who went around with the story of the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 16, last week or two weeks ago, before Tom, thank you, Tom, for filling in last week, um, we looked at giving uh, and Paul's discussion of giving in the first 
four verses. And so tonight we're going to pick up at verse five. And we're going to talk about, in this passage, Paul starts to go into his plans. Like, this is what's coming up. And as he closes a book, he does this a lot. He's got little personal messages for different people. And um, sometimes you can just skim over this because it's, okay, well, I don't know who that person is. And I don't even know how to say that name. And uh, I don't know what to do with all this, so we just keep going. But as you read this, what it brings to my mind is this. You get kind of like an implicit discussion from Paul about how he made plans, how he decided what he was going to do, how he lived following the leading of the Spirit of God. Does that matter? How do you live following the leading of the Spirit of God? So let me start off by just saying this. Give me some feedback. Give me some ideas. Think out loud with me a little bit. How have you found God to lead? Give me one aspect of, not every aspect, but one aspect of how you have found God to lead you in your life. Or if someone came to you and says, I don't know what God wants me to do. How would I find that out? Maybe the thing you would tell them, start here. Uh, How have you, when it comes time to know what's God's direction for my life, how do you find out what God's direction for your life is? Give me some pieces of it. Any ideas? Okay. Okay. Right, right. Sometimes what we, you know, the the verse that comes to mind as I think about the the reality of the Spirit speaking to me. I've had some people close to me who are like, it's it's the Bible and that's it. And, And I get it because I understand what they're saying. This is the end of the revelation of God in written form and all that. But if that's all we needed, then why did the Spirit come? You know, when it comes time for my children to choose what they're going to do with their life and what college to go to, if I'm like, well, it's the Bible and that's it, well, what passage do I tell them to turn to about which college they're supposed to go to or what major they're supposed to be in? I have to teach them how to hear the Spirit of God. You know, And Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that's all put together. It's before he talks about no one can pluck them out of my hand. And, but the, the beginning of that phrase is this picture of when the shepherd shows up and says, hey, sheep, the sheep know his voice. They probably know the sound of his walk. And they naturally go towards him. Like, where are we going now? There is a presumption that the shepherd leads us. The shepherd knows where we're going. So wherever he goes, that's where we go. And Jesus says, my sheep. So if you're my people, you should know my voice. And I worry sometimes that we are raising Christians, growing up Christians, who have to go find out from somebody else who actually can hear God, instead of recognizing that each of us should know how to hear God in our soul. We should know the voice of the Spirit. We should know the difference between God speaking to us and my fear or my emotion or my jealousy or my ambition speaking to us, right? And if you don't, we better like, Lord... (laughs) I got to figure this out because I need to know when you're talking to me and I need to follow you because you're my leader. I've given my life to you. So lead me. Show me the way. And and that's a really important thing. It it starts with Jesus saying, that's what's going to happen. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I know them. Just kind of like, that's a matter of fact. Then he talks later about when I leave, the spirit will come and he will teach you. He will guide you. So the Spirit speaking to us, a big, big part of that for sure. 
What else? Anything else? Bob. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. That, and there's wisdom to what you're saying, Bob, because I think we always presume that when I ask God to lead me, I'm supposed to like hear it and go. But when I'm stuck in between two choices, neither of which are morally reprehensible, both of which are eligible choices, and I'm asking, which way do you want me to go, God? And I don't know. What would faith tell me? Faith would tell me God can speak. God knows me. He made me. He knows how to get through to me. So maybe I'm the thickest person in the world. Does God know how to get through to me? Of course He does, right? He knows how to do it. I'm seldom at a loss. When God wants me to do something, I'm seldom at a loss to know what He wants me to do. I may be at a loss of not wanting to do it, but it's usually not because I don't know what He wants, right? So God is able to get through to me. God wants me to know His way. And so if I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do, as Bob said, I don't do it. I just wait. It's kind of the, you know, the Exodus 34. Moses says, God says, Get out of my sight with this people. I'll send my angel with you so that you'll be safe and he'll take you into the promised land, but I'm not going with you because I will destroy you. And Moses says, no, God, unless you go with us, don't take us anywhere. We want to be with you. We will wait on you. We have a passion to know your way. And sometimes waiting when God doesn't speak and it's so clear that he hasn't spoken, there's a leading in that, right? I'm going to wait. Now, there are moments where it's like, I got to step out because it's time to. It's just, uh, there's no more time. I have to make a call. And I'm going to step out and I'm going to trust that God's going to be in whatever I step out into. There's faith in that too. But many times it's impatience that takes us into, we've got to decide now because I hate living in the tension. Anybody here hate living in tension and uncertainty? (laughs) I hate living in the tension. Uh, Okay, well, that's not a good enough reason to subvert God's work in my life. So yeah, great point. Sometimes it is waiting on the Lord and, and waiting until God makes it clear to me. Good. Yeah. Looking back, yep. As you walk through a day and you look back, it's a lot easier to look back and, and kind of learn the lesson of when did I follow God and when did I step out on my own? And, and when you talk about feel, Bob, I think, because we know this, I know the feel, even church leadership or whatever, I know the feel of when God is doing it and when I think it's a good idea, so I'm going to do it and like go, yeah, God, right? We're going to do this, right? And there are two different feelings. One is the feeling of like, pushing through molasses and like frustration and like I, ah, 
and it's just not coming together. It's just not happening. It's just, and the other is, I don't, I don't feel particularly strong or prepared or wise, but we're going, and look at what God's doing. It's incredible results from very little input from me. I know those feels. So there is feeling to it. It's not feeling like, ooh, I like that or ooh, I don't like that. But there is a vibe. There's a fingerprint of God on some of those things. So great, great stuff. Any other ways we know God's leading? Come to mind. Carol. Yes. We don't always have to reinvent the wheel. There are people, even our Savior, like you're saying, who have gone before us and lived. So I can adopt their example and learn from their example and follow their example. And godly people can be an example to me and and should be. So hopefully, if you've been walking this faith for a while, you live a life and, and the lessons you've learned being applied to your life are flowing over to other people around you that are in your sphere of influence so that they can take the lessons you've learned and apply them to their lives and follow in your example. Good. Mary. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 And it's, it's weird because, like, you're talking about stuff coming against you, and that reassures you or makes you more sure, let's say, that this is what I have to do. So I got to go to Bible study, but everything's falling apart as I go there. I know I have to go to Bible study. The enemy's not going to win this. And sometimes I'm talking about I try to go forward and there's obstacles and I know it's not. And, and they can look very similar. It can be confusing. But there's something inside of us, and it's that voice of Christ that says, no, this is just getting in your way. You got to keep pushing through this. And then there's something over here that's going, you just want your own way. You got to get out of the way. So, but that's a great point. Sometimes I know that it's something God wants me to do because there's opposition to it. There's discouragement to it. There are uh, attacks that come against it. And you go, no, this is worth it. This is worth the fight. Yeah, great point. So we, we walk this journey. And the truth is, if you're a follower of Christ, you walk this journey every day. How do I know what God wants me to do today? And maybe you've just given up on it. Maybe you're like, I don't know. I'll just, God can stop me whenever, and I'm just going to go this way. Or maybe you're like living in uncertainty all the time. I don't know. I should I this, should I that, should I whatever. So what I love is that we can go through an example. And this isn't a comprehensive example because Paul's not teaching about following God's leading. But he kind of gives us a little peek into how he processes the information he's getting and looks at it through the light of, I'm following God's leading. So we're going to look at this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16. The other verse that came to mind as we talked, and we kind of touched on this, uh, God's word is a way that we can know. Obviously, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is, is the thing that tells me what's right and wrong. Sometimes people come and say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Should I, you know, should I live with my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend or not? Uh, yeah, I think we can go with a no on that because I think I have the word of God. on. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to Let's pray about it and find out, should you, should you lie? Should you be dishonest? Should you, you know, kill someone? I, I, we got the Word of God. We can figure some of those things out pretty easily. And so there are these right, wrong things that we know because of God's Word. Um, we're going to get into, when we get into the fall, we're going to get into a topic about, uh, you know, who needs church? Why, why is church just a big deal? Today, more and more people are 
claiming to be spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. I have a connection with God. But saying, I've become convinced that I do not need church. It's just, I'll just be my own relationship with God or whatever. The Word of God is not silent on this topic. It's very full of uh, input into this discussion. So we want to look at that and find out why it's such a big deal for us to be connected, you know, very, very well, deeply connected as the body of Christ and as a church. So I go to the Word of God a lot of times to find direction for our lives. Um, And so that's also a great, great resource. All right, so let's read in in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 5, down to verse, verse 7. Here's what he says. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. All right, so we're going to come back and read that again after we talk a little bit. Because I want you to pick out from there the things that represent, the things that illustrate what we're going to talk about here. And what I called this in my notes here is tentative plans. So here's what you see Paul doing. He's He's saying, I'm going to go through Macedonia. If you don't know geography, and I'm not expecting you to, it's not a prerequisite that you know geography before you come here. But Paul is uh, up in Ephesus right now, which is up in Asia Minor above Israel. It's, that, it's Turkey right now. It sticks out. Um, and across from Turkey, across from Asia Minor there, you go into Europe. You cross over uh, into what is called at that time Macedonia, which is in the northern part of Greece. But Corinth is down in Greece, down almost to the bottom. It's at the isthmus. Between, like Greece actually is a, a, a peninsula that sticks down like this, but there's a part of it where the water comes in and almost across it and then back out. It's a very small uh, isthmus. It's a, it's a land bridge between the north part of Greece and the southern part of Greece. Corinth is right there in that land bridge. And it's very important that Corinth is there because it makes Corinth a very cosmopolitan, center of commerce kind of place. Because going around the southern tip of Greece was thought to be, and probably was, very dangerous. Uncertain seas, uncertain waters, probably the topography of the, of the sea, the, the, the Mediterranean Sea there, plus the, the climates and all that stuff, made it a very dangerous life or death kind of thing to go around the bottom of Greece. And so what people would do is they would come up on the one side of Greece where, where Corinth is and they would literally drag their boats across the land to the other side. So because it was really thin there, it was a short, short haul. And because they had slaves who would do it for them, they would hook all these slaves up to rope and they would drag it across. It meant Corinth was a very high traffic area with lots of cultures and lots of trade going on in Corinth. So they were exposed to all kinds of different ideas and languages and culture and whatever in this, in this area, in this place. So Paul's up, up in Ephesus, up in Asia Minor, and he's writing to Corinth. He had spent a while, 18 months, down in Corinth planting and pastoring this church. Now he's been in Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus for about three years, pastoring, leading this church, and he's about to leave. And so as he's about to leave, what he's saying is, now I'm planning to go to Macedonia before I come to visit you. In other words, I'm not going to come across the sea to you. I'm going to go up into Macedonia, 
and then I'm going to come down through Greece to you. So Paul is saying, I'm going to do this. But how he presents it is, all of this is subject to change. I've got plans, but all of my plans are subject to change. Because why? Why why would Paul talk like that? Because God's direction sometimes switches direction. Has that ever happened to you? I'm going this way. I know God's leading me this way, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm going that way. I've been one of the people who have been thick, and I thought, well, God led me this way 10 years ago, so has to be this way. God would still be this way because 10 years ago he led me this way. And God's like, what do I need to do to turn you? And, it, you know, it can get pretty harsh when God has to turn you when you just presume I got to keep. So tentative plans. I'm going to make a plan, but I'm going to recognize that my plan is subject to change, that God can at any moment change my plan. I think maybe the best illustration of this and the one that brings such uh, relief to our soul is the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? Genesis 22, take your son, your only son Isaac, up on the mountain and sacrifice him there to me. And they go all the way to the mountain, all the way under God's direction to the place where Isaac is bound and laying on the altar and Abraham is raising the knife and God changes direction and says, hold it, let's use the ram instead. All along, the expectation was, my son is going to die on that mountain. Thank God he didn't. You know, and the Hebrews tells us Abraham did it with the idea that God's asking me to do it, but God also told me this is going to be the son of a great nation. So I guess he's going to raise him up again. I guess I'll kill him and he'll come back to life. I guess that's what's going to happen. And that's the best Abraham could do. But God took a left turn there right at the end. So God can do that to us. And God often does do that to us. Now, let me ask you this. Why would God do that? Think about that with me. Because when it happens in your life, it can be unsettling, it can be fearful, it can be frustrating, it can be maddening. Why would God lead you along a path one way and then suddenly go a different direction? Any ideas, Matt? To test your faith. Meaning what? Yes. So it's sometimes easy to spout the Christian answer. Oh, yes, I believe. But testing my faith is, okay, now you've said you will. Will you? You you said you're going to follow me wherever. You know, we've sing it on Sunday. Wherever you lead, I will follow you wherever you go, right? Will you? Or was that just something I said, like, there's a moment where I'll follow you, and then I'm like, I got it from here, thanks. You know? So testing my faith is a big thing. You've said you'll follow me. Will you follow me? Good. Yeah, check. Honing. Okay. Yes. Right. So there's a process God knows I need for what he's going to be doing. And he might be taking me down this path because along that path are some of the preparations, some of the 
tasks that will teach me, strengthen me, hone me, chip out what needs to go, whatever. But it's not really where I'm going. It's just that I need that path so that I can go over here and do this thing. It's kind of like if you're training for uh, the Olympics and you're at you know, some training facility and you're training, training, training there, you understand that's not where you're going to perform. You're going to perform over here. You're not running the race here. You're preparing for the race here. You're going to run the race over here. So same kind of idea, but sometimes we get the idea that God took me here. I know he took me here, and he's training me here, so I must be where I'm going to perform, but except it might be somewhere else. So sometimes it's the necessary elements he needs to build into my life before I get to where I'm going. Good. Why else? Any other ideas why God might? Okay, what do you mean, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. So there may God's leading in your life and the left turn may not be about you at all. It may be about the people that God has put around you and he's going to lead you down a weird path with lots of twists and turns and your reaction to it is going to be his testimony of your faith and his faithfulness in the journey he takes you on. Are you all right with that, if that's what he does? Uh, be careful how you answer, but are you okay with that? Because if God wants to use all these twists and turns and you just responding by, with peace and with hope and with faithfulness to go from here to here to here, and that's going to be what shows someone else that God is faithful, that God is true, that God is worth trusting. You all right with that? I, I will tell you some of the hardest places in my life, there were people around me watching that I didn't give a thought to watching, you know, my kids and some others. And to hear them feed back on what they saw during that journey is sobering. Because I think, how many times did I just want to go, forget it. I don't care what God wants, you know. But, but to live it out in front of other people may be a great place for a light to shine. Maybe what God's doing. Absolutely. Any other ideas? Bob. And it was okay, so. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. 
right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Following God has that those moments. And I will tell you, if you're passionate, like you're talking about, Bob, you're passionate about whatever God wants me to do, I want to do that. And I'm tuned in. And I think sometimes the left turns, the unexpected twists and turns are about, will you stay tuned in? Or, or will you tune out? Like you were listening two days ago. Are you going to still be listening? Or have you been done listening? You know, are you going to pay attention? So we talk about honing. There's some of that honing in, am I going to keep listening? If God's in charge of my journey, he's in charge of it all the way through or just at the planning stages of it. You know what I mean? So, and sometimes when you get done and, and you follow the Lord, he pulls back the curtain enough that you can see those moments and, and know for sure you can connect it to, I, I was sensitive to what God wanted me to do, even to stay through the second service, because this is what he wanted to accomplish. And then you're just blown away by God's faithfulness, his power, his goodness to do those things. Where if I had just been like, whatever, I've got to get out of here, then you miss it. And you don't even realize you missed it. It's in following that you find out what you would have missed. So it is a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think as Paul, as you, as you watch Paul here, as he talks about, I'm going to go to Macedonia and I want to come down and visit you guys. And, and sprinkled in are all these words that say, but this is all subject to whatever God wants. And I think that's a powerful example because this is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who planted church after church after church. And by the way, the plans that he is making here, I'm going to go into Macedonia, probably had to do with checking in on some of the churches he had planted, but probably had to do with going into some places he hadn't gotten to and sharing the gospel. These are not bad plans. These are plans that any one of us, if, if Paul, if the Apostle Paul was here tonight and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to try to plant churches. I'm going to go back to some of the churches. We're going to be like, go get them, Paul. Yeah, that's, you got it. You got to be right. Because why? It's the work of God. It's somebody who has a testimony of following God. And of course, God wants to see churches planted in people. Of course he does. Presumption, right? And Paul says, well, if it's God's work, it has to be God's way, in God's timing, through God's person. And so therefore, I'm going to wait for God to lead it. And I'm not going to assume that I know it. I'm going to keep listening for God to lead. Sometimes I think the the biggest trouble we get into is when we think, well, it's a good thing, or it's a godly thing, so therefore it's something I should do, I have to do. You ever been there? And so you start taking on everybody's problems because i got to love everybody, whatever. And I've stopped listening to God, and I'm just listening to whatever flies at my way, and I just assume that everything that comes my way is something for me to fix. I've, I've lived that. I've lived it to the place where I was ready to, like, throw in the towel because... I can't keep up with all that God keeps throwing at me. Guess what? God wasn't throwing it at me. I just wasn't asking anything. I was just assuming this is good. This should be done. So we just kept going and going and going, right? So Paul is saying, as I go on this journey, as I make these plans, as I talk to you about my plans, I'm going to talk about them in a way that says, now these are all subject to change. So he's not saying don't make plans. It's not like, well, I don't know what I'm doing tonight. I don't know if I'm leaving this place or not. I don't know if I'm going. You make plans, right? I don't know if I should get up and go to work tomorrow. Plan on going to work tomorrow, okay, everybody? But I say that with humility, with the recognition that I'm a limited human being and that God can change my plans 
because he's God. He's my Lord. He's my leader. He's my Savior. He can do whatever he wants, and I'm with him. Whatever he says to do, let's do that. It even applies to stuff like this. So let's say over the course of the next year, God wanted someone else to be the pastor at this church. And I'm like, but I like being the pastor at this church. Ask myself the question, am I following God? Do I want God in charge or do I want what I want? Well, but it's a good thing that I get to be the pastor at this church. Very quickly, what I plan and what I even expect can become what I demand, what I hold on to, what I idolize, and what gets in the way of me following God. Even good things. Gifts from God. So Paul, as an example to us, says, I'm going to have plans, but I'm going to hold my plans with an open hand. God, these, these are the plans I have. You do whatever you want with them. I'm going to keep going forward that way. If it's not what I'm supposed to do, you'll show me. And then, so let me read it again and just throw words at me that Paul uses that say, this is the way Paul approached this, all right? So five to seven. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. All right, so give me some, some words here that tell us that's how Paul made these plans and followed God. That's his mindset in following God. What do you see? Give me some. Perhaps, right? Beginning of verse 6, perhaps. Yeah, just keep passing it up because I'm hard to hear. So send it up. Perhaps. Like he says, I will go to Macedonia. And next phrase, perhaps. So plan, subject to change, right? What else you see? Hope. I hope to spend some time with you. I want to. I see the need for it. Obviously, we just read 1 Corinthians. We see the need for him to go spend some time with them. But I hope to spend some time with you and make more than just a passing visit. I don't want to just in and out because I feel like in my soul, we need to sit down and we need to talk about some of these things. I've got some parenting to do here. I'm your spiritual father and I want to, but I hope to. I hope that's what God does, right? What else? If the Lord permits, end of verse 7. If the Lord permits. Now, that's an interesting phrase because what it says is Paul is going to be very careful to follow God's leading. You and I know that oftentimes when we say if God allows, God allows us to do a lot of things that we shouldn't do, right? So if the Lord allows, it's not like God stops me from doing bad things. If I choose to do bad things, I get to do bad things. What it says, if the Lord permits, means if God leads that way, if God prompts that way, if God moves that way, then I will follow him that way. But I'm going to be paying attention to the Spirit of God as God leads, if the Lord permits. Anything else? Wherever I go. I'm going to Macedonia, but I'm going to wherever I go. And if I get to you, I don't know where I'm going after that. There's, a, there's some sense here that Paul had a divided heart between going, he wanted to go to Rome, he wanted to go to Spain, and he wanted to go to Jerusalem. And so he's like, I don't know which way I'm going. God, you're going to have to lead me in that moment. I've got lots of different passions. I've got lots of, wherever I go, you can help me on my way. So you see it over and over again in there. And it's, 
you know, for us, it's kind of meaningless as far as what he did or what he didn't do, unless you've got your map out and you're tracing his missionary journeys and he's at Ephesus and he's going here and there and whatever. You could feel a little bit of his heart, but I thought it was really cool that you can hear some of the way that he processed it. And I think it really connects to what James says uh, in James 4. Uh, James talks about making plans in this same vein. Let me read what James says in James 4 and kind of you can process it in together with what we just talked about for Paul. James says in uh, James 4, 13, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Well, that sounds a little harsh. But what's he saying? He's making a really strong point. We as believers have to recognize that we don't know what's coming tomorrow. That we're not in charge of us anymore. When we decided that we would have Him as our Savior, and we decided we would give our lives to Him and follow Him, we gave up the right to decide what we're going to do. Now, God will allow us to take that back, but you'll do the same thing you did with it before you knew Christ. How'd you do on your own before Christ? Great. You were just such a raving success that you needed a Savior? Well, that's right. Successes don't need saviors. Messes need saviors. Wrecks need saviors, right? So if I take my life back over, if I'm going to be in charge of my life, I'm going to wind up in the ditch again. So Paul says, or James says here, listen to even how you speak. Because how you speak can be a clue into the default way that you think. And the way that you think is, I'm going to plan on this, I'm going to plan on this, I'm going to plan on this. And if it doesn't happen the way that I plan it to, I'm going to be disappointed. Because I put my expectation on that, I kind of put my hope on that. A lot of times, God disappoints our plans God wrecks our plans because our hope cannot be in our expectations. Our hope for a good life, our hope for purpose, our hope for for fulfillment cannot be in what I think is coming. It has to be in who holds the future, in who owns me, in who has promised me eternity. It has to be in Him. It can't be in what's coming. It can't be in the circumstances. It can't be in everything unfolding the way I expect it to be. Now, all of us OCD people who like things planned out, that's bad news. But guess what? Your flesh will often get crushed if you are to be fully surrendered to Christ. So if it's your desire to control, that's flesh. Just like if it's your desire to have lots of power or money or, or to live by your lust or whatever. Your flesh will get crushed. It's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. As a matter of fact, that sounds awfully connected to what Jesus said is the only command that he used to summarize all of our, you know, duty as believers, our our guide for believers. This is how all men will know. This is the command that I give you. Love one another. Does that sound anything like take up your cross, deny yourself? Follow me? Does love deny self? Yes. Greater love has no one than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friend. 
So love is not self-seeking. Love does not seek its own. It's not about me, me, me. Love is about you. And so expectations are about my plan, my control, my, my desires, me. And so if I'm going to follow Christ who laid down his life and said, not my will but yours, I've got to do the same. If I want to know God's leading in my life, one of the foundational principles is not my will but yours. And sometimes the journey that you go on of uncertainty, of silence, of wondering, of waiting, of seeking God is to drive that home. Not my will but yours. Do you really want my will? Do you really want my way? Do you really want to know what I want for you? Are you desperate for it? Are you convinced of it? Do you need it? Or would it just be nice to know so you can decide if you want to do it or not? Paul says, whatever comes is going to be under the hand of God. I'm going to leave it with him. And we'll follow him wherever he goes. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want purpose, purpose-driven life as, as it starts out with that phrase, it's not about you, it's not about you. And like, what? It's not about me. How do you make every decision in your life? Well, how's this going to affect me? What do I want? What would, what would make me happy? What would fulfill me? It's not about you. If you put you at the center, you will not find fulfillment because your purpose is not you. So God will, through leading us, strip away the, the deception, the delusion that my way is the right way, my way is the best way. And even for Paul, it was a lesson that he learned well, and he was willing to follow God no matter what. Any path you take me down. How? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that the absolute convincedness that Paul had that God knew what was coming, that he had a good plan, that he was trustworthy, that he could follow him, takes you to places like jail, beatings, without being unsettled. I'm sure he wasn't excited. But at the same time, I know Paul didn't wrestle with, is it worth it? We do. So what's different about Paul's relationship than ours. It's that faith. It's that ability to just believe, you know, all the way through, all the time, convinced that God knows what's best and God knows what's right. Yeah. And knowing God's right there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So what we'll do, we'll pick up there next time because we're going to look at the next couple verses because that's the first part of uh, finding God's plan for your life is holding plans tentatively, recognizing all the plans that I make are tentative plans subject to change by management or by my Lord or whatever you want to put on that. 
And that's a good thing. And I want those plans to change uh, according to the plan and the will of God. So we'll pick up there next week. Like I said, after tonight, next week and the following week, and that's it. We're done 1 Corinthians. And we're going to have a 1 Corinthians party. I don't know what that looks like. Probably not good because 1 Corinthians is a bad book. But uh, it was, it's a big accomplishment and a lot of digging in and studying uh, just verse by verse going through that book has been a lot of uh, learning and a lot of fun, challenging. Uh, and I think uh, it's going to be cool to kind of bring that to a close in a couple of weeks. All right, before we go tonight, what can we pray for for one another?